Um, good to be with you and uh, presenting the message again this morning. And as we continue through the year, it's uh, amazing, isn't it, that it's almost halfway through the year, but uh, certainly well and truly we're into winter. And looking uh, more at the life of King David, well, almost King David, um, and of course David was described as a man after God's own heart. And as we look at our overall theme for the year of being wholehearted, if we can look at the characteristics of David, what is it that made him a man over, after God's own heart? And if we can take some of that and learn it and apply it to our lives, then perhaps we can become more wholehearted in our life as well. So looking at David's heart of generosity this morning, before I go on, just to uh, remind you, if you were here last week, Rihanna actually spoke and she and I had swapped weeks about, so she actually had skipped forward to a time where David um, had been anointed as king, um, and I'm jumping back to a time when David hadn't been anointed with king and in, uh, as king, and in between that, Saul had died. So Saul was dead last week, but he's alive this week. So <laughs> I don't know, it must be very confusing for Saul. Um, but uh, before I get into it, when I spoke last time, I talked about a verse from Deuteronomy that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. And the word here is the Hebrew word Shema. And I want to just remind you of that word. It means not just to hear and to listen, but it also means to focus. It means to pay attention to. It means to respond. It means to obey. It means to put something into action. And that's what I want to challenge you with this morning, that uh, when you hear the message, that God will speak to you, that you'll have your ears open, but your heart and your mind open as well. And rather than just hearing a message, that you will act on it, that you will respond to it, uh, that you will focus on it. Um, And we'll come and talk a bit more about that right at the very end. Um, Before we go any further, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this place for North Lakes that you've called into being, for the ministry that happens here, for the lives who are, uh, that are touched and transformed through this ministry. Father, we ask now that as we hear from your word, that we will listen, that we will obey, we'll put into action all that you have for us and help us to be people who are also known as uh, having hearts after you. Amen. So the passage I'm focusing on this morning comes from almost the end of the first book of Samuel. Samuel, uh, first book of Samuel, that's just Samuel, not Dr. Samuel. Um, (laughs) Chapter 30. (laughs) And it's a time where David, uh, as I mentioned, hasn't been anointed as king yet. And there's a band of people who uh, are with David, about 600 men. And they've got into various situations and battles and so forth Um, and they were away fighting and they came back to their hometown only to find that in their absence the Amalekites had raided that town, burned it, taken away their possessions and their children and their wives and David's men and David himself were incredibly upset by this and the Bible says that they wept until they could weep no more but the men were angry at David um, you know, blaming him, we were out fighting and we come back and we found this situation. And he was concerned that they might stone him. So he did the wise thing and he went to the Lord. And the Bible says that the Lord gave him strength 
and also that the Lord told him to go and chase after the Amalekites and get back that which is yours. And there's a lesson even there, isn't there? That when we get to a point of weeping where we can't weep anymore and we're in, uh, yeah, afraid and we don't know what's happening, what to do, go to the Lord and seek him for strength and for guidance. So God said, chase after uh, the Amalekites, get your bits and pieces back, including your wives and your kids, and uh, that's what they did. So we pick up the story then in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30. So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Besor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued with a pursuit with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Kerithites in the Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag, that's David and his men's town. Will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. Then David returned to the brook Besor and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, They didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, No, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us to defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike, those who go into battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David and his men made this decree and a regulation, sorry, and a regulation for Israel, and it is still followed to this day. So David was obviously generous towards those who stayed behind to look after the equipment. And you could think that his generosity came because of the amount of plunder they had. The Bible says it was a vast amount of plunder and they had been raiding not just the town of Ziklag, David's town, but other towns as well. So they had a lot. And you would think, well, there was so much there, why not share it? But David's generosity really came not from the amount of plunder that he had, but rather 
from his attitude. And that's the first point I want to make this morning, that generosity actually is an attitude. Now, we all know people who have a lot but give little. And we probably know people who have little but give a lot. And so it doesn't come from an overflow of what you have. It comes from an overflow of who you are. That's where real generosity comes from. <coughs> let, me, uh, let me give a story to explain. Some years ago, I was um, with a group of Year 8 students on a hiking camp. And uh, this was a, a hiking camp that had uh, backpacks and... Um, they had tents and all their food and clothes in it, and they were off in the bush for three days. And uh, the first day was quite a long day, quite a challenging day, and uh, we weren't near our destination, and it was starting to get dark. Now, when you're walking through the bush through the daytime and a leaf brushes against your face, it's a leaf brushing against your face. But when you walk through the bush at nighttime and it's getting dark and a leaf brushes against your face, it could be a lion, it could be a snake, it could be a giraffe or a dinosaur or who knows what. And you do start to get a little bit jittery because you can't clearly see where you're going. And um, the further we got, uh, I got along the track, the darker it was. And finally, the group leader said, we're going to have to stop and camp here. We're not going to get to our destination. Um, the girls were getting a bit spooked. Uh, it was getting late. It was about 9 o'clock at night by that time. He said, let's just make camp here. And we camped at a place like this. This isn't an actual photo, but it was a rocky outcrop just in the middle of nowhere. And um, so the leader said, OK, there's space for one tent to set up there and we can probably fit two tents over here. And uh, over behind those trees, another couple of tents can fit there. So we weren't all together, but we were in about a 20-metre radius of each other. And at night time, that feels like about a 200-kilometre radius. And uh, as I was watching... I realised that we had an uneven number of tents and girls. And there were two-man tents, there were 15 girls. So one of them was ha having to be in a tent on her own. And um, no one left this person out. It's just the way they grabbed a friend and started to set up tents and get organised and so forth. And uh, I could see this one girl looking a little bit more and more nervous and anxious about that. And I thought, I wonder what they're going to do. And a second girl noticed this as well. And after a while, she went over to this girl on her own and said, you are so lucky to have a tent by yourself. I spread out all of my gear when I'm in a tent and I make such a mess and you've got room to do that. I can't do that in my tent with my friend. Would you mind swapping with me? And the girl who was on her own, her eyes lit up and she said, oh, yes, okay, I'll do that for you. And you could see what was happening there. And uh, so the second girl was quite happy on the tent on her own and the girl who was nervous was with somebody and uh, made such a big difference. And the girl who was so generous wasn't generous because she had anything more to give than anybody else. She was in the same situation, but she was able to look beyond herself and her own needs to the needs of someone else. And that's where generosity comes from. It comes from an attitude and she knew who she was and that she could do that for someone else. So a question this morning, who are you? If you really know who you are, then you can be generous towards other people and reach out to them. I was reading a book through the week and in this book it said that a well-developed sense of personal value correlates significantly with kindness, 
generosity, social cooperation, and a spirit of mutual aid. And what that means is that if you know who you are, you can help other people. But as Christians, it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just knowing who we are. It's knowing who we are in God, knowing who God has created us to be. And if we really understand that, then we can look beyond our own needs and circumstances and help one another. And I believe that's where David's real generosity came from. He knew who he was in God. And even though he had a lot to give, he valued the person that God had made him. So who are you? You're a child of the creator of the universe. As such, you'll always have something to give to someone else, won't you? You're the crowning glory of creation. Psalm 8 tells us that God made the stars and the planets and the earth and all that's on it, but that we are the most special thing that he made. Last week, Rihanna reminded us that we're anointed, we're valued, we're set aside for God's purpose. John 3.16 tells us that we are deeply loved by God. So who are we? We are amazing creatures created by God for his good works. And when we know that, and we are firm in that, and we are confident in that, we know that we can reach out to other people. David said, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. And he knew that what he had was because of what God had given him. Leadership guru John Maxwell talks about generosity and he says these three things. He says that generous people add value to others. The more generous you are, the more people that you bless. And conversely, if you're not generous, you want people to add value to you. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? How come I'm always giving? What about me? What about me? What about me? So you can either add value to yourself and build your own kingdom. Or you can add value to others and build God's kingdom. The second thing I see in this passage when I uh, read through it is that David's generosity was not selective he didn't choose to be generous to some people and not others so he was generous towards the Egyptian man and before he even knew that the Egyptian man could help him they gave him food and drink and helped him to rest and be refreshed and then when they spoke with this Egyptian man, they realized that he was actually a key player in this story. He was the one who'd been with the Amalekites. He knew where they were heading and he could give David that information that he knew. Now, this Egyptian man had been left behind because he was a slave who was unwell. So he was a sick slave, but yet such a significant part of the story. And there's a lesson there, isn't there? That God can use us, even if we're feeling like we're a rejected slave, God still has a purpose for us. And I love that encouragement. David was generous to the exhausted men. When he came back and met them, they'd been resting by the brook. 
Well, uh, the fight had gone through the night and right through the next day. So obviously David and his 400 soldiers were very tired. But David came back and the Bible says he greeted them joyfully. There wasn't a reprimand. I hope you guys are fine by the brook here. We've just worked really hard. He greeted them joyfully. Another version of the Bible says that he asked them how they were. So he was showing generosity to them and shared all of the plunder with them as well. But more than that, David was generous to the evil troublemakers. The ones who said, well, they don't deserve it. They didn't do any of the fighting. Give them their wives and children. Tell them to be gone. Now, I don't know whether you've ever said to, um, to children who maybe have been fighting over something and they wouldn't share it, taking it from the one child who has it and saying, well, if you're not going to share, you miss out and this child can have it all. I may have done that once or twice. Perhaps there's a time for that lesson where if you're not going to share, you don't get anything. But David didn't take that approach. He could have said to those 400 men, well, if that's your attitude, we'll take all the plunder and we'll give it to these other 200. And David knew that that would have caused resentment and division. So David was generous to the troublemakers by letting them still have their share, even though they had a poor attitude. And if you read on in the story, you'll find that when David got back to the town, he also shared some of the plunder with some of the elders from around the land. And even more than that, he shared with some of the people in the surrounding towns. So his generosity went for everyone who was part of that story. It, um, it wasn't selective at all. Here's another question. Who in your life does not deserve your generosity? Maybe there's someone in your life who uh, is unkind to you or you feel like you're always giving and never get anything back from them or you just don't like them very much um, or you don't feel that you can extend yourself to do anything for them. But if we have that kind of attitude then we are not having the attitude of God who gave everything for us regardless. And there's a challenge there, I think, that at times we're tempted to say, well, someone doesn't deserve it. But real generosity is not selective. A couple of weeks ago, Beck showed a video when she was leading church, a video about generosity. And I was a bit nervous when I saw the title of the video because I thought, oh goodness, I'm preaching on generosity in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, this video is probably going to be better than what I am. But anyway, I got a few points out of it. And one of it was the video said that generosity isn't a transactional thing, meaning you give to me and I'll get something in return and I'll only give to you if I can get something in return. That's transactional, but it's a relational thing that I will give to you regardless of what you can do for me and our relationship will grow. And the video also said that sometimes generosity is faith. We don't know who we're going to be called to be generous towards. We don't know how we're going to do that. We don't know what or when or why, but we just have to trust God. And that brings me to my third point about generosity. I believe that generosity points to God. And it does that in three ways. Generosity reveals God's nature. 
We talk about David being a man with a heart after God. And I think God's heart is a heart of generosity as well. And people can see the nature of God through our generous acts towards them. Generosity expresses God's grace. He gives to us abundantly. And it outworks his purpose. Let's explore this a little bit. If you turn back from the book of 1 Samuel, you go back to the book of Ruth. And Ruth is an amazing story of generosity. Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi were both widowed. And through the generosity of Ruth, she was able to look after Naomi. Ruth met a man, Boaz, through his generosity... He was able to support Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Boaz and Ruth eventually married. And they had a child. And that child had a child. And that child had a child whose name was David. So Ruth and Boaz were great-grandparents of King David. And I wonder what is the generational impact of generosity. The generosity that Ruth... And Boaz had, is that somehow gone through to the generosity that David has? And of course we know too that David was a forerunner of Jesus. There's a long line between those people and generations and generations and generations. What impact does generosity have that we'll never know? What impact does it have when you are generous towards a friend or a family member or someone you come in contact with through the generations? And I believe that that can outwork the purpose of God. If we're going to be people who are selfish and hold on and build our own kingdoms, then we're not outworking God's purpose through the generations. I love this verse from the New Testament. Excuse me. This is from the um, Passion Translation. Here's my point, says Paul as he writes. A stingy sower will reap a meagre harvest. But the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving all because God loves hilarious generosity. And I thought, why hilarious generosity? <coughs> Excuse me. And I thought, well, hilarious is the extreme of something, isn't it? Something can get your interest or make you snicker or make you chuckle or make you laugh. But when it's hilarious, that's the extreme. And I think that's the same. <coughs> Excuse me again. I think that's the same with generosity, when we go right to the extreme of generosity. Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything. Every moment and in every day, he will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. <coughs> I'm actually on the mend, believe it or not. And it's not COVID either. <laughs> so here we have 
God's abundant generosity being referred to as his grace. And as a child, I remember hearing this little saying that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that is the ultimate in generosity, giving his son to die for us. We didn't deserve it, but he gave it anyway. How generous is God? That's his incredible, perhaps even amazing grace, isn't it? I was thinking about our church. And I was thinking of all the different ways in which North Lakes is generous. Now, please forgive me if I've missed out something that uh, you're aware of and didn't come to mind when I was doing this. But we have a very generous church already. And that is an incredible thing to belong to a Christian community that expresses generosity so well. I'll get the band to come up while I'm talking about this. Thanks, guys. And I believe that you cannot have a Christian community without generosity. You can't have a Christian community without generosity. And the workings of the church depend on it. The band, generous with their time. Those who are here setting up the new PA, generous with their time. Those who are involved in leading small groups, generous with their time. Those who prepare morning tea, generous with their time. Those who look after the administration of the church and the leadership of the church. And so on it goes, generous with what they do. And I'm aware of people in the church who have given money to support someone to buy a car, to make some sort of significant purchase. Or opened up their homes for hospitality. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. But it's not just about being generous for the workings of the church. It's about being generous for the outreach and the ministry of the church as well. And I think we are really blessed to be part of this church. Here's the challenge. Shema. Listen and obey. Listen and act. Listen and do something about it. And I wonder what has come to your mind or what has God stirred in your heart while I've been talking about generosity don't think that you don't have enough to be generous remember it's an attitude that comes from an overflow and abundance of who you are in God and don't think that you can be generous towards some but not others it's not selective and keep in mind of course that generosity is about pointing people towards God Have a look at this scale, the generosity meter. Low, medium and high, 0 to 10, 0 to 100, doesn't matter. Where would you rate yourself generally in terms of your generosity? Now maybe it changes in different circumstances, but generally where would you rate yourself if you had to do that? Now watch the meter carefully. What would happen... If you did that, you turned it up just one notch. Just a little bit more generous in your attitude or towards someone else. And I wonder if someone or some situation has come to mind while I've been speaking. 
whether God's put something on your heart about generosity. But you know, any social group can do that. You can be part of any club and they can say, we're going to be a more generous group of people. We're going to be a more generous club. And that's a good thing to do. But for us as Christians, it's more than that. I believe this is the key question. Today, how was my generous heart an instrument of God's grace? And that takes it just from being a nice person doing nice things for people to someone who intentionally is working to be an instrument of God's grace and allow your generous heart to outwork outwork the purpose of God in the lives of other people. As I was preparing and reading for this, I came across this prayer. And uh, it was written hundreds of years ago. I couldn't find out who the author was. But it's an amazing prayer of generosity. And I'd like for us all to stand, if you would. And I'll finish um, as I lead us reading this through, uh, through this together. And uh, as you're reading this now, just consider the challenge in the words there on that screen. And allow God to speak to you so that we can be people who are generous people. So uh, let's pray this together. Dearest Lord, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve you as you deserve. To give and not count the cost. To fight and not heed the wounds. To toil and not seek for rest. To labor and not ask reward save that of knowing that I do your will, O Lord. Loving God, we thank you for your generosity towards us that's expressed through the death and resurrection of your Son. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us all, that you would challenge us to be generous people, people who love others and are generous towards them. Father, we thank you that we have the overflow of abundance from you, the creator of the universe. And Father, I pray that we can be aware of who it is that you're challenging us to be generous towards. Father, help us to be aware of situations where we can step in and be generous and not just walk past. We pray that our radars will be sharp and be in tune with your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for people like David and his life and uh, know that what happened thousands of years ago can impact our lives through the power of your spirit now. We ask these things in your name. Amen.